Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, I Am Strong. We learn in this series that when we surrender our weaknesses, we gain strength. Our prayer is that you give your weakness over to God so He can use your strengths to bring Him glory. What's up? Everybody good? I hope you are. I saw something I never thought I'd see this morning. Skinny jeans and banjos. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Skinny jeans and banjos. I didn't know that would ever take place, but that was cool. Um, cool way to start the service. So, hey, I'm glad you're here. Welcome. If you're new to Connection, glad you joined us today. If you're old to Connection, glad you're back. And uh, again, praying that God does some awesome stuff in our hearts today. Um, just believing that God desires to use us in an incredible way. And we're going to continue this series today on uh, called I Am Strong. And uh, look at it, though, a little bit differently than last week. Last week, we looked at how if we bring our weakness to our strength, which is Jesus, that he makes us strong even in our weakness. And our weakness becomes a platform for the demonstration of his power in our lives. This week, I want to take it a little bit more from a corporate standpoint as far as meaning um, the body of Christ. That we're strong when we're in the body, when we're connected to the body, when we're connected to each other, when we're connected to the church and we're growing together. Um, listen, if you're new here, um, welcome to our family gathering. That's what this is going to be today. I really want to speak to the people who are here in this church. I really want to have somewhat of a family meeting, so to speak. You can look from the outside in and maybe make a decision of whether or not this is the church that God's calling you to be a part of. Because what we don't want to do is have people who just walk in the doors and walk out the doors. We want people who are doing life together. So I hope that this will be challenging. I hope it'll be encouraging. And most importantly, I pray and have been praying all week that the spirit of God would truly move in our hearts, binding us together in a supernatural way to do supernatural things for a supernatural God who's given us us the gift of life through his son, Jesus. So um, I want to pray and then we're going to jump in here and get going. And uh, you pray and, and let's ask God that he would do something incredible in this place today. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity we had to serve you, God. Thank you for loving us and forgiving your life for us, God, that you uh, laid it down willingly because you wanted us, God. You love us. And God, now I pray that out of hearts of gratitude, we would return that to you, Lord, that we would glorify you. God, I pray that um, as we go through this message today, Lord, that we would begin to feel this sense of family, this sense of community, this gathering that is completely unique in the world because we're gathered in the name of the one God, Jesus, the God man who died on a cross and whose spirit lives in us now. Draw us together, God, stronger and more united than ever, that we can be a transforming force and power in this community, in this world. Lord, we believe your word is true and it has the power to change lives. God, change hearts, change lives, and start with ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tell you a little, little, little quick uh, story to set this thing up a little bit because yesterday, and, and actually this whole weekend has been a really cool weekend for uh, me and for a lot of other folks because we had our annual get-together of the Statesboro High School baseball alumni, right? That means a lot of old people getting together telling a lot of old stories is basically what that means. And so Friday, we got to play some golf together. Friday night, we got to bowl a little bit together and hang out with our families. And then yesterday, we had the game of all games where we divided up into teams and, uh, and the, 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 the old guys played each other. And so we got to relive our glory days a little bit. Basically, when you combine golf, 
you combine bowling and you combine baseball all together with a bunch of old men, you get a bunch of sore hamstrings and backs today. It's basically what we're dealing with. And so, um, but it was an awesome opportunity to get back together with a lot of guys who um, I haven't seen in a long time. Um, some of them um, in, in years, literally. Um, some of them, you know, are, are in town, but I still don't get a chance to see them. But we got together and we started reliving a lot of old memories. We got to go out and play our old positions. And, and uh, I used to play second base. A buddy of mine played shortstop. And uh, one guy made a comment. He's like, man, y'all are out there. Y'all look like y'all haven't lost anything. It's just like y'all, y'all, y'all you know, just step back on the field and ready to go. And I was like, man, we're like the right and left pedal on a bicycle. You know what I'm saying? It's like one of those things. We just didn't miss a lick, but just a lot slower, right? And so, but we got to relive a lot of those moments and, and share a lot of good times that we had had. And you know, the funny thing about it was we didn't talk so much about wins and losses as much as we talked about the, the, the friendships that we had made. And literally when I thought about it, what it all came back to was community. It came back to being a part of a group of people that was living life together. I mean, for many of us, for 10 or 12 years, we did life together. And, and, and we were together through good times, through bad times, through days when we were literally running until we were throwing up and we were walking through things together. And, and there was a sense of community so much so that I can get back together with those guys after years and, and, and feel like we've never been apart. And I started thinking about that in terms of the church and in terms of how we are. If we can be that united and that empowered by a game that's surrounded by a ball and a bat how much more united and empowered should we be as the people of christ who are surrounded by a living god and empowered through his spirit and listen that's what we're called to do and to be is a united body that's been called out by god to do life together through good times and through bad times so that we become a community knit together and stitched together through the power of the spirit of jesus that's what we're called to do Y'all wait this morning. That that hour got y'all, didn't it? I can tell in your faces. That hour got y'all. So listen, wake up. This this is what we're called to be. And I want to talk to you about this out of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes Ephesians to, to the church in Ephesus, but it was bigger than the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the most important cities of its day. And from Ephesus, this letter would be distributed throughout the known world. Other churches literally would be reading this. Paul knew that this letter is important because I want them to grab this information, but not just one church, all the churches. It's pretty crazy to think about the fact that when we go to the book of Ephesus, Paul was writing this not just with that church in mind. He wrote this knowing that future churches would hear this. And so it's to us in a very real way that these letters are written. And when we come to this, we see that that Jesus through Paul, was writing this letter to us to teach us what it means to be unified in the body of Christ. Paul believed because he had experienced the power of Jesus himself that the power of Jesus could be a transformational power that transformed not just Ephesus, but the known world. The world as we know it could be transformed by the loving power of Jesus Christ. So Ephesians 4, we turn and we begin to read in verse 1. And I just want to walk us through this today and begin to see how God brings unity in the body of Christ. That we are strong when we're united and we're growing up together in Christ. Verse 1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul writing to the Ephesians, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling 
you have received. If you have your Bible, you can underline the word calling. It's okay to write in your Bible. It's actually good. Make notes so that you go back and you can read it and you can remember things. You can underline calling because it's very, very, very important. But as we read this first verse, we see that Paul tells us to live a life worthy of the calling. And here's how we typically read that verse. Because we're such a self-centered, me-centered society that we read that verse and it's hard for us to read that first verse outside of a context of dealing with me, right? I mean, come on, the first person we think about with anything is who? Me. It's me. We're self-centered, self-absorbed, selfish people. Ten out of ten people are selfish. Praise God. Welcome to Connection Church. (laughs) We are. We are self-centered, me-centered people. And so when we read this text, the first thought that we have and the first thought I had for years was, I need to live a life that's worthy of the calling. But when you read that verse in the context of Ephesians 4, you begin to realize that Paul's not just saying for you and you and you and you and you you, you, to live a life worthy of the calling. He's saying that the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, the church should live a life worthy of the calling that God's given us. That we should live in a way In such a way that's worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's empowered by the spirit of Jesus. So that the world looks at us and we, the body of Christ. Think about the body of Christ. The tangible representation of Jesus in the world today gives people a clear picture of who he is. And of his gospel. What an awesome responsibility. Daunting and yet humbling and yet empowering. All at the same time. Paul says, live a life worthy as the body of Christ. There's a couple of words that I want to point out to you. One of them is that he's meaning in the church. He's calling us all to the church. The second one is called. Flip over to Matthew chapter 16. The church and called. Matthew chapter 16. It's the first place that Jesus uses the word church. And it's important for us to see this. I want to read to you this section of scripture beginning in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of death, the gates of hell um, will not come overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. But he says, I will build my church. He says, I'm going to do this, Peter, and upon this revelation of who I am and upon myself and upon who I am, as people gain this revelation, I'm going to build my church and we can read that. And the first thing we think of when we think of church is what? A building. That's why I like, how do you have church when you don't own a building and you meet in an auditorium? It's because you don't go to the church. The church comes to a gathering. It means you're the church. Had a pastor in town tell somebody in our congregation, your first problem is you don't go to a real church. Ooh. And I was like, then I guess all y'all aren't real. Right? And then I punched him. No, I didn't punch him, but I wanted to. I wanted to. 
But you're the church. You're the body of Christ. You're the people. You're, you're what Jesus is talking about. The church and the called. Here's the awesome privilege of children of God. That Jesus called you to be his. That he initiated a relationship with you so that you could be called out from the world to be his. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia. And it simply means a gathering. Before the church came into existence, it just means people called out for a specific purpose. But hello, are we not a people who've been called out by the living God to a specific purpose to do life together and to glorify Jesus through the power of his spirit? We are the ecclesia. We are the gathering. We are the people who've been put together by the spirit of God called out to bring glory to Jesus. And we cannot do it alone. We can't. I'm preaching better than y'all are. Amen. And y'all better get in this game. But seriously. We cannot do it alone. It's a, listen, this, and this blows my mind. But it's the gathering. It's the church. It's the body of Christ that Jesus died for. He gave his life so that we could be brought together to be his glorious bride. Knit together. Bound together by the Holy Spirit. It means we are put together by something bigger than ourselves. We are put together by God. How dare us say we don't need something that Jesus gave his life for. And yet people all the time will say, well, I love Jesus. I just don't like his church. Hello, it is his bride. If you say that, you're trying to find an excuse to not be connected. And I would seriously wonder, do you really know him? Because you can't know him apart from his word. And you can't say you need his church without knowing his word. And I wonder, do we really understand what we're saying? Because to say you can be, live in Jesus, reflect Jesus, and become all that Jesus has called you to be apart from his church is to blatantly and boldly shout to the world, I don't truly have a revelation of God's word. Period. How dare we say we don't need something that Jesus gave his life for. We need each other. We can't make it without each other. When I was little, I loved the Lone Ranger, right? Y'all remember that? Some of you older people remember the Lone Ranger, wore the mask. Kind of creepy, really, but he wore a mask everywhere. Had, this, had those, that, like the silver bullets and all that. My dad had a silver bullet one time. He told me that he used to be the Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger. I believed him. I was like 30 by the time I figured out he was kidding. And I, mean, I really was older. And, 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 but, but there's no Lone Rangers in, in uh, the church, right? Nobody is able to do this on their own. Look down at verses two through three. So God calls us to gather corporately. Here's the awesome thing about this gathering. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, sin, death will not overcome it. Here's the awesome thing is when we're united and we're bound together by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become an unstoppable force that makes Satan shiver. He can't stop the church. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says this, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Up in verse 1, Paul appeals to them as a prisoner of the Lord. Listen, Paul was writing this letter 
to the Ephesians from a Roman jail cell, knowing that his death could be imminent. And yet he didn't see defeat. He saw an opportunity to use his circumstances to tell them, listen, just as I'm humbled by Jesus, just as my circumstances are humble, just as I've been afflicted, just as I'm thinking less of myself so I can think of you more, do the same thing. Be loving, be humble, be patient with one another. Bear with one another in love. Long, you long to be together. Long to encourage one another. But how many times does that happen in the church? It's why we're so big on connect groups that you need to be in a small group where you can do life together and not just going in and scratching the surface, but being willing to trust people as you get to know them to share your heart. Because here's the problem. We can't do life alone. You can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. We're called to be together, to sharpen one another, and to live life together, as Paul describes, completely humble, and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He's basically saying, don't let divisions exist among you. But how many times do we see that in church? There's more backbiting. There's more gossiping. There's more hurting. And there are people who are willing to go and be the bigger man, the bigger woman. Probably not a term you want to use a lot, right? But, but go and, and to reconcile and to make things right. To go and say, you know what? I don't even know if I was the wrong one in this. But I'll tell you, I'm sorry. Let's make this right. Let's reconcile because I realize that we're in this for something bigger than my pride. And in so many situations, pride has been the death of the local church. When we come into the church, and I'm not meaning the building, I mean we walk into the fellowship of believers, we need to check our pride at the door. And you'll say, well, he offended me. Well, guess what? Jesus, the only one who was perfect, was beaten, spit on, had every opportunity to take offense, and yet when he's hanging on a cross, Breathing is last for you and for me. He said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this is the attitude that Paul's calling us to. An attitude of forgiveness. An attitude of mutual submission. You know, when you read the Bible, go read Romans chapter 12. It talks about us belonging to each other. It means that we come to a place of mutual submission. It literally means that you belong to me and I belong to you. Here's the thing, you can't practice submission until there's disagreement. If two people are always headed in the same direction, there's nothing to reconcile. But at the moment that there's a difference, so many times when we speak truth in love or there's a disagreement, we see people head for the exits, not say, you know what, I'm here because God called me. I'm here because I'm a part of the church and we're going to work this out and we're going to make this right. And if God can forgive me for all of my junk, then I can forgive you for all of your junk and we'll get this together and we'll live together and we'll be strong in this bond of peace that's bigger than us because it's in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But are we really seeking to, re to reconcile? Are we really seeking to do everything that we can to protect this bond of peace, to be a unified body that people look at and say, I recognize something divine in those people. Are we really turning to Christ and letting him be our example in that? He tells us that pulling together 
And the power of the Spirit is a great source of power in the church. It's the unity. Listen, you live with anybody long enough, they're going to get on your nerves. Hello? In fact, you see the humor of God in the covenant of marriage. Let's take two people who are polar opposites and I'm going to put you together and I'm going to make you one and then I want you to live happily ever after. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't give us a husband or a wife to make us happy. He gave us a husband or a wife to help make us whole, meaning our sanctification, our becoming like Christ. Because at the moment we begin to realize this ain't going to work unless I die to myself. This ain't going to work until I submit to them and they submit to me. And I hear people all the time go, well, you know, we're getting married and it's going to be a 50-50 relationship. Then it ain't going to work. Because if you're not giving 100 and she's not giving 100 or you're not giving 100 and he's not giving 100, it's not going to work. When we come to the marriage covenant, we give up our lives for the other person. Ephesians 5 tells us that we lay down our lives for them just as Christ laid down his life for us. When you come to the church, when you come to, to, to a believing faith and you are brought into the church of Christ, it's no longer about you. It's about the other seven or 800 people who are in here right now. It's about serving them and serving a world that needs to see a tangible representation of who Jesus is. So Paul tells us that pulling together in the spirit, pulling together in unity, is the power of the church. As the spirit of God works through us, Paul then goes on and tells us what we're to unite around. Listen to this verse. In verse four, he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Paul tells us that the first thing we had to unite around, listen, the, the first thing we have in common is that we have the same identity. We have the same identity. Now look to your left and look to your right. They're not the same as you, right? They don't look like you. Some of you guys need to quit looking at the girl next to you because I did not mean for that look to last that long. But they're not the same as you. They're different. If we took fingerprints, everybody's fingerprints different. But here's the awesome thing about Jesus. And Paul tells us here as we come and we come to Christ, there's one body and there's one spirit. And he says, listen, here's the reality. As different as you are, as, 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 as messed up as some of you are and as unmessed up as some of you think you are, but you're really the messed up ones that probably need Jesus the most, as much different as you are, the reality of it is that when you come to Jesus, you come to one identity. You're baptized into one spirit. You're brought into one body so that spiritually we have the same fingerprint so that you and I are the same in Christ. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, rich or poor, what country you're from, where you live, who you know, who your daddy is. That's the first thing I learned when I got to States for it mattered who your daddy was. This is the thing I would tell you today. We all have the same daddy. We all have the same one and our identity is the same. And we're united around identity that tells us we're all one body. That we're together. And when you begin to think about it like that, it'll make you stop before you gossip. It'll make you stop before you slander. It'll make you stop before you bail on your brother or your sister because you wouldn't cut off your own finger. You wouldn't cut off your own nose. So why would you do that to your spiritual body? You wouldn't. 
And we begin to see that this is our life. Listen, here's the problem in the American church. Too many people go to church and don't belong to the church. We think we can walk out for one hour a week, pay our debt to God, and walk back out and live however we like. That's not reality. Many people today in here right now, you've never experienced the fullness of God. And the reason you haven't is because you've never submitted yourself to a church. Some of you in here today can't submit to a church because you've been hurt by church leaders. Many of you have heard me tell you that, but tell my own story about that. The reality is that's real. This is what I would encourage you to do. Look at the fruit of the ministry. Look at the heart of what we do. And if it doesn't check out with you, then go to another church. But find one until you can trust the leadership. Just because one man perverted the church doesn't mean that the plan is perverted. And there are people who truly love Jesus. And there are people who truly follow him. And there are people who truly care about you. If this was about me, I would have been out a long time ago. I can go make more money. I can go have less stress than doing this right here. I promise you. But it's not about me. It's about you. And I'm giving my life for you and for the gospel so that you can grow into the fullness of Christ and so that we can be the light of Jesus, a city on a hill that draws other people to the reality of who he is. That's what we're here for. We're here for that. He says, we're also united around one hope. That This identity in Christ brings us to one hope. And we're united around this hope. We have the great hope of no matter what we're facing, no matter what hell we're going through, that the reality for Christians is we're as close to hell as we'll ever get. And our future is bright through the hope of Christ. What an awesome thing. Ephesians 4, 5 says this. He says that we were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I love this point that he's making. You're called to one faith, one Lord, one baptism. In other words, you and I have the same story. We're united around the same story. And you're like, well, you you don't know what my story is. I don't. I really don't. I don't know what you did before you came to Christ. But I will tell you this. What you did before you came to Christ is really a mute point because the Bible tells us that we're a new creation in Christ. So here's the reality, guys. You have the same story as I do. Death to life in Jesus. Death to life in Jesus. And you're like, well, you don't know what I did. I did this and I did that and I've done this and and all these things I've done. Don't you realize, listen, the Bible says that we were all dead. All of us. Like there's no degree of dead, right? If you got two people and they're dead, you wouldn't look at one and go, wow, that one's deader than the other one. It's dead. It's lifeless. The Bible says we were all dead. There is no deader. And there is the fullness of life that comes through Jesus. Here's the thing many of you think is you think that just because you don't have the testimony that you smoked crack when you were four, you had sex for the first time when you were six, that you got drunk when you were two, and that Jesus appeared to you in your jail cell and told you that you were forgiven and that he loved you. You think because you don't have that testimony that you don't have anything to share. But the reality of it is before you came to Christ, you would have busted the gates of hell wide open just like the other person. 
So you have the testimony that I went from death to life in Christ. Some of you have that testimony. And don't you be ashamed of that. Don't you be ashamed of what God's done in your life. Don't you be ashamed of God having made you a new creature and a new creation. Don't you walk in condemnation. But you rejoice in what Jesus has done in your life. And and listen, share it. Don't be, listen, he died for that. He died for that. The only people that Jesus, you can clap, clap if you're going to clap because I got more to say. Listen, he he knew the only people Jesus ever got ticked at were the, the religious people. And I really believe the reason he got ticked at them is because he knew that they wouldn't accept his sacrifice. The ones that he got angry with was the ones that he knew I'm about to go to the cross. And not only are they going to not come in themselves, but they're going to hinder others from coming in. He never, ever condemned the sinner because he knew if they will put their faith in me and trust in me, I won't have to condemn them on the last day, but I will forgive them and I will become theirs and they will become mine. That's the promise of Christ. How awesome. What an amazing thing that we see in this. Ephesians 4, 6 tells us this. He says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He says, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And I alluded to this earlier, but he's telling us, listen, you've got one father. You all have the same daddy. If you have the same daddy, what does that make you? Brothers and sisters, which are what? Family. And just like some of you didn't get to choose the family you're in, Many of you didn't get to choose the spiritual family you're in. You're here because God called you. You're here because God sent you. And yes, we are very dysfunctional, but I'm sorry, you're family. And you can't get away from it and you can't escape it. And even if you walk away, guess what? You're still family. And we have one daddy. We all know what dysfunctional families are like, man. Like mine is dysfunctional. I did my aunt's funeral a couple of weeks ago and I told the family, the first thing I told them was if you look up the picture, our our family portrait, if you look up dysfunctional, our family portrait would be right next to it. Like we would. If you've never had a fight at a funeral, then you're not as dysfunctional as our family. But I also told them the reality is though, if you look up the, the word love, you'd also find our family portrait because we love. And here's the thing. I can call my family dysfunctional, but nobody else can because in all our dysfunction, we will mess you up. I can, I can say jokes about my kids and tell stories about them being stubborn and and all these things, but don't let me hear you say it. Right. And I was in a meeting the other day and, and, uh, and there were some people talking and somebody in our church, their name was being talked about and, and not in a bad way at first, but then a, a guy started saying some things that it just didn't settle well with me. There was a guy in our church and I literally, I felt like, like getting my back up. Like the, I don't have a lot of hair on my back. I'm not like Sasquatch, but I could feel like, I could feel like the hair on my neck kind of stand up and bristle up. And I was like, oh no, you don't. And I was like, well, I think you need to cut him some slack. And I think you need to back down. And I think you need to realize 
who you're talking about. And I stepped in. Why? That's my brother. That's someone who God's called me to lead. I'm not going to let somebody talk about him. I'm not going to let somebody put him down. I'm going to step in. I got his back. And there's a lot of power that comes when you know that with all the warts and all the stains and all the bad things that come along with the total package, people still have your back. There is power that comes in that. There's power when somebody in this church comes up and says, Brandon, you preach the truth. I got your back. There's power when we begin to share with each other. You know what? You're not perfect, but I love you. And I'm always going to be here for you. I have friends in my life that I've confessed to before. I don't know if I'm going to finish this race. And the one I'm done, just the other day, he said, you're going to finish because I'm not going to let you quit. Don't you need those people in your life? Do you really think you can persevere in the faith without the body of Christ? No, because God designed it that way. He designed us to do life together. Ephesians 4, 7 through 8. I love this too. This is awesome. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says he ascended on high. He led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. Now that verse for years, verse 8, it really boggled my mind. I was was like, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. But as I began studying again this week, I found where that's a reference back to Psalm um, 68 verse 18. And what it was referring to is the Messiah who one day would come and he would win a great victory and he would go up Mount Zion and he would be leading his enemies in a train behind him. They would do that back then. They would literally many times strip the enemy naked and parade them in front of everybody else. Basically what Paul is saying here is that Jesus came, he won a great victory, he led our enemy Satan as, a, as our enemy up Mount Zion is basically what he's saying and he's saying that he won this victory and he gave us the gifts of the victory. In other words, he gave us the spoil, he gave us the goods, he gave us everything that he had won. What an awesome picture that Jesus came to win a victory so that we could benefit from his blessings. How cool is that? That God gives good gifts to men. That he's gifted us. That he's empowered us. That that he's led our enemies captive. That now we have the promise of victory. He tells us that he's given us gifts of that victory. Gifts like freedom through his grace that we're no longer bound by sin but we've been set free to live in Christ it's, it's, it's freedom that we've been given through the power of his spirit to live lives that bring glory to him to live in a community that is an entity created by Christ he gives us this gift of a purpose that's greater than ourselves it is in Christ that we discover the purpose of our lives the reason for our existence to bring him glory to live a life that's worthy of him And he gives us gifts for building up his church. But here's the thing that I see too many times is so many of us are not using these gifts that God's given us. We're not proclaiming his grace with our mouth or in, in our lives. We're not proclaiming the freedom of Christ in the church. We're not living a life that looks as though it has a greater purpose than ourselves. And our gifts aren't being used to build up the church, which is the hope of the world. 
Look at Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing for the sake of time, but Jesus tells this parable of these talents and talents were a sum of money. But isn't it kind of cool that a talent was a sum of money, but when we think about gifts that God's given us, it sort of correlates with a talent because a spiritual gift is very similar to a talent, but it's a gift that's given by God for use in building up his church. And he says that he gave five talents to one. He gave two to another and to another one talent, each according to his ability. The first thing I want to tell you about this parable and about this reality that Jesus has given us gifts through his victory is that to each one of us, there is a gift given according to our ability to do the things that God has purposed for us to do. He created good works for us to do long before you were. And he's called us to be responsible. In doing those, listen, you don't do them so he will love you or so he will save you. You do them because he has loved you and because he has saved you. It's not out of a heart of guilt, it's out of a heart of gratitude. But he's given every one of us the ability to do work for his kingdom, for him, to serve him according to our ability. And he goes on and he says that, on down he says, So also the the, the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. The one who with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And I wonder how many of us who've been given gifts from God have dug a hole and put our gifts in the hole. I wonder how many of us, and listen, you, you can think of a hole like being in the backyard and putting your cash or whatever in a mason jar, but I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about, that, about holes that don't matter. Investing everything we have, our time, our energy, our work life into things that just don't matter because they do not last. How many of us have dug a hole and put the gifts that we received from Christ in the hole? Think about your work life. Listen, if your workplace isn't a ministry, do you realize you sleep probably one quarter to a third of your life? The other quarter to a third or another quarter to a third of it is spent working for many of you? Maybe even more of it? Do you realize that if your workplace isn't a ministry, you're giving a quarter to a third of your life to something that does not matter? Hello? That will sober you up quick. Like, did you realize I'm pouring all of this in and at the end of my day, someone else will enjoy it. And God's given you gifts to share in the workplace. He's given you gifts to share here in this church as part of the body. Listen, we share our gifts, the gifts of grace, the gift of the spirit, the spiritual gifts we've been given as we gather and we share them as we scatter. It's not just in this building that we share them. It's everywhere. Do you realize that many of you, you can't give to the one thing that the Bible says to give to the local church because you're so worried about digging a hole and burying your treasure where you think it's going to last, but where moth and rust will destroy. It will not last. If you can show me another entity that in 
eternity will exist and that will be still there after everything else is gone, after everything else is, is concluded. And Jesus has come back for his bride. And you can show me anything other than the church, the body of Christ, the gathering of believers that will exist and be there, then you have permission to give to something else. But listen, our first priority is to God's house. It has always been that way since day one. And many of us don't like it because money is our God. And we feel like it's owed to us not to be used for the glory of Jesus. I want to wrap it up back in Ephesians 4. I will tell you this, the last thing that Jesus says in there is he says that the servant who dug a hole didn't know the master. He said he knew him to be a harsh man. It's not saying that God is harsh. He's saying, basically, I didn't really know you. He says that he, he hid it because he didn't trust him basically is what's happening. And one of the things that I find with people is when we dig a hole and we put the gifts that God's given us in that hole, we don't truly understand the identity of our father. He is loving and good that we can trust him with all that we have, with our resources, our energy, our time, our giving, everything can be used to build up his church. I want to close with just giving you four quick impossibilities apart from the body of Christ, as we finish out this section of Ephesians, he says in verse nine, what does he ascend and mean? Except that he has also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Many people get hung up on that. Does that mean Jesus went to hell? Does that mean Jesus was just incarnated? I'll tell you from as much study as I've done on this text that I do believe that Jesus is, this is referring to Jesus's incarnation, that he left heaven and he came to earth and then he ascended to heaven when he was glorified by his father. I want to get hung up on that. There's still debate around it, but the reality of it is that it's referring to incarnation. Verse 11 says, it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. And listen to this first, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The first spiritual impossibility I'll tell you apart from the body of Christ is for you to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. You cannot fulfill your purpose that you were created for apart from the body. If you read that verse, he says very clearly that God's people, to prepare God's people, the gifts we've been given, the purposes we've called to. Um, in these verses, he's referring to the leadership of the church. But elsewhere in scripture, he refers to the entire body being used to build up the church. Our works of service being used to build up the church, the body of Christ, building it up. And your purpose cannot be fulfilled apart from the body. If you are not connected with a local church, you cannot fulfill the purposes for which you were created. If you're not doing life together in this church, it means if you're not in a connect group, if you're not doing life with people, growing together with people, growing in, 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 in fellowship and intimacy with people, listen, you can't fulfill your purpose. Listen, if you're not serving, if you're not a part of a connect group and serving, you are going to have a very difficult time growing in this church because it is such a huge part of our DNA. And I don't say that to try to push you away. I say that to try to draw you in. I say that not because I want to make you angry, but I say that for your benefit so that you might come in and be a part of the church connected to the body. 
Your gift is to build up the church's body and your gift is incomplete without the gifts of others. No one has all the gifts so that they can be the church by themselves. The second one out of Ephesians 4.13, he says that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God. And we become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The second one is it's impossible to grow in spiritual maturity apart from the body of Christ. This is why we're gifted. This is our purpose. It's to do life together. Doing life together with other people makes you grow up. It makes you grow up. You have to because people are aggravating, right? Let's just be honest. There's people that just get on your nerves. We're called to do life together. It makes us grow up. It makes us realize that it's not about us. Ephesians 4, 16, skipping. Now let's read 14. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching because we're growing mature. We're growing on the foundation of Christ and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Listen, being a family doesn't mean that you always get along and it doesn't mean that you don't speak truth in love. What it does mean is that we realize we're united and tied to something bigger than ourselves. So when we do have a disagreement, we work through it instead of walking away from it. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work the third thing that's a spiritual impossibility is the fulfillment of the great commission he says this he says that from him the whole body meaning Christ joined and held together by every supporting ligament does what it grows it grows. Jesus' desire, Jesus' heart, one of the last things he said was all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we realize that Jesus desires his church to grow. How does he desire it to grow? In numbers. Yes, he desires it to grow in numbers. And I know that politically correct thinking is, well, we shouldn't talk about wanting the church to grow in numbers because then it appears that it's just about us. Hello, Jesus said he wants the church to grow. He wants us to make disciples. He wants people to come into a relationship with him. He didn't die on a cross so that the church wouldn't grow. He died on a cross so that people would be reconciled to God. He wants his church to grow in numbers, but he also wants the church to grow in maturity. He doesn't want us a mile wide and an inch deep. He wants us a mile wide and a mile deep. He wants us growing in maturity because when we grow in maturity, we come to number four, which is the fourth impossibility. It is giving a clear picture of the nature and character of Jesus. That apart from each other, we can't give people the real representation of Christ. If they don't look at the church and see uh, something that's different, something that's divine, a group of people who are working and loving and living together, then they come to a place and a realization that that's no different than what's out here. Why should I go to that? 
But the reality of it is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we grow in maturity. As people use their gifts, we grow in maturity. As connect group leaders, lead groups, as people greet, as people go into their workplace and begin to share the grace and the gift of God, Jesus, then we begin to see growth happen and we begin to see people grow in their faith. God desires his church to grow. Here's the thing I would tell you. When, when Susan was in OT school, there was a class. She took a lot of biology classes. And in one of them, this is kind of freaky, but, but they had to dissect a body. And, and they named it. I thought that was kind of sick, but they named the body. And, and they would go in and every day they would go in and they would do what you do when you dissect the body. And, and they would label it and they would learn all the different parts and all these different things. And, and the funny thing about it though, was Susan could not eat roast beef for like two years. Because it just reminded her, I think it was Sally, I think was her name. And so she couldn't eat roast beef. And, and the reality was like she never came home from a, a, a class where they were working on the body and said, you know, we dissected that body and it was glorious. It was awesome. I can't wait to get back in there and just dig around a little more. It was incredible. And so here's the thing. That is a gross illustration. There is nothing attracted about a dismembered body. But the reality of the church is the reason we've been turning people off for years is that when they look at the church, all they see is a dismembered body. And God has called us to be unified, to have each other's back, to walk in our identity that is the same, to proclaim that our daddy is bigger than our differences, and to put that all aside and begin to move in a way that brings him glory. I got this guy down front. I pay him $100 every week to clap. I really don't. But... But we're not, we're not called to be, somebody clapped trying to get a hundred dollars. <laughs> and <laughs> we got college students in here. They're like, I'll clap all day long. <laughs> but we're called to be a unified body, a body that accurately reflects who Jesus is, that points people to who he is. A body that gives, listen, I want you to hear this, gives a clear picture of Jesus. That is a tangible representation because we're all in. Our gifts are all in. We don't go to church. We belong to the church because we belong to Christ. And we're united together up under the headship of Jesus, submitted to him, submitted to each other, doing life together. And it's easy to say, it's not so easy to do, but when people win, will we put our Put our differences, put our pride aside, put ourselves aside. Literally do what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When are we willing to die to ourselves that we can live for Christ and become the church that he gave his life for us to become? I want you to see the power of a united body, a body that is together by the power of the spirit, united around the gospel, a community of believers, because I just believe, and maybe I'm just crazy enough to take God at his word and believe that he can transform Statesboro, Georgia, Georgia, the United States and the world through this church. 
Believe it with all my heart. I know it. We got a statistic the other day. Somebody pulled up some statistics from online. Do you know that we have been in 90 different countries with our videos? 90 countries. That's 40. That's 45% of the world. They'd have heard my country accent. They're like, we don't understand what he say. But they're hearing the gospel. We've had over 40 something thousand people click on one of our videos in the last year. That's just in a year. Only 11,000 and something have actually watched it all the way through. But but 11,000 and something have been watched all the way through. I just believe that a united body, the body of Christ, can transform the world. If 120 people did it almost 2,000 years ago and this movement is still going on, all we've got to do is follow the movement of Jesus, be united around Him. And I promise, I know it, and I prom- my promise means nothing, but the promise of God is that we'll see lives transformed through the power of Christ. Believe it with everything in me. One of the greatest times that we can celebrate this identity, one of the greatest times that we can celebrate the fact that we have the same story of death to life in Christ, one of the greatest times we can celebrate the fact that we have our own identity is when we come to the communion table. And and actually in just a moment, we're, we're going to take communion together. But Jesus told his disciples, it was a night that he was betrayed and he told them, listen, like take this bread and, and I want you to he broke it and he said I give this to you this is my body and you know they're freaking out he's like what's he talking about we have the ability to look back in hindsight and say wow okay he was talking about communion they didn't know but Jesus was telling them this is my body that's broken for you they didn't eat it and he says this is the cup of the new covenant the blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He says, I want you to take this communion. I want you to take this wine and I want you to remember me every time you do it. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the fact that we're one body brought together under the head of Christ to be an example to the world, to be a tangible representation of Jesus to the world. I want to invite those who are helping with communion. If you will, you come on up and, and get the elements and we're going to share it in just a minute. I'm going to pray and, and I'll dismiss you to, to go and we'll have a person in front of each station. If you'll come out to my right, your left, go around. They're going to give you a piece of bread. You can dip it in the juice. It is juice, by the way. So um, you can take it um, without worrying about it being alcohol. It, it is juice. You can take it. And listen, But here's the thing I want to challenge you and encourage you with. Before you do, the first thing I would ask you is, are you in Christ? Do you know him? Are you a believer? So that you're a part of the body, to come and share in the body and the blood of Jesus. The second thing I would tell you is, examine your heart. Are you connected to the body? Because here's the thing, no part of a body can live separated from the whole body and you can't either are you connected are you a part of the church are you a part of the body of christ 
That's what we're called to be. That's who we're called. That's our identity. It's one people united under the headship of Jesus. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to ask you. You pray also. And you let God examine your heart. You let God examine your motives. You let God examine your intent. You let God examine your priorities. You let God examine the fact that, that I'm in you, Lord. I open my heart to you. Reveal in me anything that's not pleasing to you. Let's pray, God. Lord, I pray in this moment we would experience the power of your spirit that it would draw us, God, together in you, that your spirit would do incredible work in our heart. God, that we would be a united body, a body of believers that, that runs forward together, arm in arm, united, wrapped and, 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 and built around something bigger than ourselves, God. God, help us be united to give a clear picture of your gospel to those around us. Do a great and awesome work in our lives, Jesus. We can do a great and awesome work for your kingdom. Empower us in this moment. God, for those who you've put something in their heart, Lord, I pray that they can lay it down. And as they come and as they take communion, I pray, Lord, that they would celebrate the sacrifice of your body and your blood that bought our forgiveness and our rescue from the power of Satan. God, I pray that for the person here today who right now is saying, God, I need you in my life and I've never known you, but I need Jesus, that they would come and celebrate communion for the first time as a Christian. And God, we want to welcome them to the family. And I pray that we would be convicted yet encouraged by your body and by your blood. Bind our hearts together by your spirit. Make us one. Will we be a glorious bride for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.